been rainy January and February is because I appreciate warm and sunny June and July is much better. So I'll take this weather right now and then come June and July. Certainly appreciate it. Amen. I give uh, honor to Pastor Sister Urshan, Sister Anna, and Sister Sophia tonight. Um, as much as I love to see and hear him preach here as well, yes, you can be seated. As much as I love to see and hear him preach, um, I'm also thankful to be able to share him. He's on his way to London to preach. I'm, I'm excited to be able to share him with not only our, our nation, where he preaches around, but other nations to share the tree of life for the healing of nations message, because it's needed in this world. It's needed at this time. So I'm thankful that he can go out and give um, other churches and other people a taste of, of what we get to experience on a weekly basis. But I'm thankful for what we get to experience on a weekly basis, too. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I do just have one, one scripture to read. And um, sorry, I know I just asked you to sit. If you could stand for this one scripture with me, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Luke 22, verse 24 it says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And the thought for tonight is just simply, what about me? What about me? If we could just seek the Lord for a second. Lord, I thank you. I praise you. I thank you for your presence that's already in this place. I thank you, Lord God, for leading us and guiding us and directing us in this world and in this time, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to constantly seek you, to seek you, God, first, to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first, God, and trust, Lord God, in you and not our own understanding. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be seated. So yesterday, I believe it was, I was talking to Brother Tyler Kovach, or he, he was walking around singing, um, Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. He has been the last two days. And I'm like, amen, that's, that's a great song, one of my favorites all time. And he was talking about what they were going to be sharing upstairs, I believe, tonight. And he, talk, he was talking about eternity and saying, I feel like I, 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 we're always talking about eternity and talking about eternity. And I thought, well, what God put on my heart is, again, talking about culture and fighting against this, against this culture. And I said to him, I said, you know, we can talk about eternity and, and fighting against this culture every day. And it's still not going to be enough because the world's not stopping talking about what the world's doing. The enemy's not stopping talking about what he's putting in our minds and in our hearts and in our eyes. Hollywood's not stopping. The music industry's not stopping. It's not stopping. So we can talk about eternity and kingdom-mindedness and the ways of the Lord every day. And it's still not going to be enough to fight what we're fighting in this culture. So I said we can talk about it every day. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it again tonight because that's what we're facing and that's what we're up against as we send our children to school, as we go to our jobs. Wherever it is that we're going, we're constantly in this system that the world is fighting against everything that we have when we come out of this place. When we are in this place Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or as often as we can be, the minute we step out of this building and onto that street and into whatever restaurant or job we're going to, now we're back into what's called the real world or facing what 
the world has to offer or what the enemy is putting against us. So we can do it every day. But I, I want to talk about the apostles just for a few minutes. And um, we kind of take the Bible and, and take the people of the Bible. And we often say, what's your favorite character in the Bible? And I don't even like using that term. I know it's easy to say and we automatically say it. But I feel like character just means all of a sudden it's a, a person or character in a movie or a fictional book. So I don't even like to relegate them to, or anybody in the Bible, to characters, because these were real people. These were people with feelings, facing the same challenges that we, cha- or we are faced with every day. They, they, they woke up and had the same aspirations in life, or, or, or the same feelings of struggles, wanting to be something, wanting to be somebody, trying to get ahead, everything that we face, the hurts that we face, the disappointments that we face. They were very real people. They weren't some uh, uh, what's perceived so often as Stone Age characters that didn't have much of a brain or anything like that. They were real people facing real problems and, and real time. So we, we look at the apostles, and they were the same thing. They were just men doing their jobs, going about their lives when Jesus called them into this kingdom, when Jesus called them to, to preach this gospel to a world. They were just men living their lives. And Jesus called them one by one. And we think that they were something different or something above what we are, but they were ordinary men. I recommend a book, 12 Ordinary Men, if, you, if you've ever heard of it or, or you should read it. It talks about them as individuals and who they were. I mean, you're talking about a zealot who wanted to overthrow Rome and then a tax collector who was working for Rome. And that's who Jesus took. And that's who we are. We are just people living our lives we're in this world, in the United States at this time, living this life, trying, trying to do and be what we are and provide for our families, just like they were, just like they were, they were doing every day of their lives. And, and we see that they got caught up in this, what I would say, identity crisis as well. It's what we're facing every day, especially us that are Holy Ghost filled or coming to church and seeking God and seeking this kingdom and trying to do what's right trying to do what's right on a daily basis, trying to raise our families, trying to keep our homes in this kingdom-mindedness. That's what we're trying. But then every day we wake up, we're facing the struggles of what social media is portraying, what the news is portraying that we're supposed to be, what, what Hollywood's portraying we're supposed to be, what our children are coming home with as what they're supposed to be. And we're constantly on this struggle. I'll say this, we can never take off our Christian hat. We can never straddle the fence and say, okay, I'm going to go to church Sunday morning, but Monday morning I'm going to put that up for a few minutes, and now I'm going to be part of what the world is. Now I'm going to be striving to get ahead. I'm going to be striving to get the promotion. I'm going to be striving to be the best at my job. I'm not one of those that says our kids should get just participant trophies and that everyone's a winner. I'm not one of those people. I definitely think that we need to teach our kids, hey, you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. But I'm also not going to get caught in the system of the world that says, I've got to be first at everything. I've got to be the best. I've got to be the one that gets every promotion. I've got to be the most successful on my street. I grew up with a, a, fr- a friend that his family, his dad, that's all they talked about all the time. And they did. They had great things. A beautiful pool, a beautiful, hu- everything they had, a huge boat. It was fantastic. But I always thought to myself, that's all he talks about is what he's getting. But I'm thankful that in my home, I saw prayer. 
I'm thankful in my home I came to church. I'm thankful in my home I, I, I was told about God and about his kingdom and about an eternity because when I go over to my neighbors, all I hear about is, well, look at this new toy and look at that. And like Pastor preached about Sunday night, it's all temporal. It's going to fade away. It's going to be gone. He's passed away now and his wife are passed away now. What did they take with them? I have no idea, but I know they didn't take any of those things. And I pray for their souls right now because I know what their minds were on as, as far as I knew them. As long as I knew them, I knew what their minds were on. And it certainly wasn't the word of God. It wasn't this word. So we're caught up with that on the fence every day of what, what hat am I wearing today? We never take off this word. We never take off the hat of being a Christian. We never stop looking at the kingdom. We never stop looking ahead to finish this race and to finish this course. It has to be on my mind every day and every experience that I have. That's what I have to be caught up in. But we relegate so often God to our church experience. We so often say, okay, I went to church Sunday. I got filled up. And now Monday, I'm going to go, and I'm going to get back into the grind. I'm going to get back into competing with my, my coworker. I'm going to get back into trying to get ahead and trying, by all means, to surpass them and get that promotion or get that recognition. And if that means I have to lie a little bit, okay. If that means I have to take credit for something I didn't do, okay. I'm going to do that just so I can get ahead. But that's not what Christ is telling us to do. And that's, I would tell you that that's the same thing that these apostles faced. They didn't face anything different. They didn't feel anything different than us. If we go ahead and we just continue on, let's look at the rest of this conversation. In verse 25, after they posed this question, and it says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Joe, if you could, yeah, keep that up. It says in the King James, I'm reading the New King James, it says also strife. In verse 24, Brother Joe, strife among them. How much strife do we have in our homes, in this church, in this congregation, on our jobs because of that? We're looking about at who would be accounted the greatest. I wonder how much strife that causes in our daily lives, trying to be the greatest. I know our daughter, who I love with all of my heart, I can think back probably as far back as she could talk, her saying, I won or getting upset when she doesn't win whatever the littlest game is that we're playing, or a race from the kitchen to the stairway, whatever it is. I win, I win, I win, I win. It's just automatically inherited in us. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not what we're supposed to be. Verse 25, Jesus says, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Verse 26 says, But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table yet? am among you as the one who serves. In verse 28, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, 
that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit at thrones or on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what God is telling us. That's what Jesus was telling them. Set your mind upon these things. He's talking to them because at that point in time, he's saying essentially the same thing. People are benefactors when they give to the government or when they work for the government, when they put all their minds and all their attention and everything on working for that government or working to get ahead. That's what he's talking about. But Jesus is saying, don't put your mind on those things. Put it on me. Sit at my table. Look at me and look at my example of how I served, how I washed your feet, how I served you, how I hung at the cross. He hasn't done that yet, but that's what Jesus is telling him. Look at me and look at this example and look at this kingdom mindedness. Look at the eternal things, not at the things that we're seeing in this life, not at the things that this world seems to be important. We'll never measure up. We'll never measure up to what this world expects us to be or wants us to be. It's, it's impossible. When I look now at any social media or whatever it is, I mean, you look at the athletes. I just saw where somebody signed or is signing a baseball player for $300 million. $300 million over 10 years to play, to play baseball. I, I don't know. So what are the other players thinking? That's what they're going to have to be? So now who the next great player is thinking, well, if they're going to get that, I've got to get more than that. We automatically are competing with each other, automatically competing with what the real is. But it's never, we're never going to measure up. And the problem is if we're not going to measure up, nobody else is going to measure up for us. Our wives, our spouses, our husbands, they're never going to measure up. Our children are never going to measure up. Our coworkers are never going to measure up. Our friends are never going to measure up. When we're constantly looking at that as our example, as the, what the world says we need to stack up to be, we need to, we need to measure up to this, nothing's going to measure up. We're not going to get enough likes on Instagram or Facebook. We're not going to get enough likes on Twitter. It's never going to be enough, and that's going to cause this depression. That's going to cause us to now all of a sudden be down on ourselves, which we're going to take out on our spouses. We're going to take out on our children. At what point are we going to say, well, and give up on our children and say, you're not measuring up. You're not measuring up to what, what I expect of myself, so how are you measuring up to what I expect of you? Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, that's not what. Don't put your mind and your eyes on those things. Don't focus on those things. What are we looking at? What are we focusing on? When we take that Christian hat off, or we take that godly, that kingdom hat off, and start basing everything on what the world is, we're never going to measure up. And then that's going to cause strife that it talked about in the Scripture. That's going to cause strife in our home. That's going to cause strife in our marriage. Nothing will ever measure up. You see, God knew the apostles. He knew them when he called them. He knew each and every one of them and their flaws and everything that was wrong with them, but said, that's going to be enough for me. That's going to be enough for me and what I want to do in my kingdom and how I want you to be the ones that start this church. You see, in the infancy of the church, it's just like when we're born. When we're born. That's probably the purest we'll ever be in our lives. Maybe when we get baptized, maybe when we get the Holy Ghost, whatever the case. But when we come out of that womb and we're first born, that's as pure as we're ever going to be. We're completely innocent at that moment, except for born into that sinful flesh. But if we look at the church, when God pulled them men out and, and created this church, and, and they started the church, we can look at it and we can see how now, by the time Paul is teaching his epistles, constant correction. 
So we can't blame ourselves, and we can't measure up to what the world is. We have to constantly be focusing on God. But God knew the apostles. He, and, and John 1 and 47, if you could bring that up, Brother Joe, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And can you go to the next one, Brother Joe? And it says, Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou of me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. So Jesus sees this. There, he's wondering, how does God know who I am? How does God, Jesus, understand this? How does he know this? But Jesus saw the flaws. God, in his infancy and creation, knew these men that he was going to call. And he knew their flaws, just like he knows our flaws. Just like he knows everything that's wrong with each and every one of us in this congregation, he called these 12 men and said, yep, you guys are going to be the ones that start my church. You guys are going to be the ones that with all these flaws and all these problems and all these issues and all these differences, you're going to be the ones that I trust to start this church because I know that it's through me that you're going to be perfected. It's not going to be through you. It's not going to be through the world. It's not going to be through anything that the government offers. It's not going to be through anything money offers. It's not going to be through anything that uh, Hollywood can offer. It's going to be through me. It's going to be through my word. So God said, that's who I'm going to call. That's who I'm going to take to be who I want you to be, who I want my church to have its foundation on. Everything that we do is about advancement of man, about advancing us. Everything that we know and everything that we do is just about furthering us, furthering us, furthering us. But I just wonder, when we wake up in the morning, when we wake up every day, what are we seeking first? What is it that my mind, where does my mind go to as soon as I wake up in the morning? Is it on the kingdom of God? Is it on seeking him? Is it on getting in his word, spending a few minutes in prayer, whatever it may be? Or is it my first obstacle that I got to tackle? Or is it closing that deal? Is it getting ahead? Is it getting to work and, and getting that project done first before my coworkers? I don't know what it is. But if it's not the kingdom of God, then we are in the wrong way of thinking. He said you can't serve two masters. He said you can only serve one. So you're either going to hate one, uh, you're going to hate one and love the other. So we're either going to serve this world and live for this world, or we're going to do it for the kingdom. And that's in everything we do, because these apostles were living a life. I don't know, what, you know, there was, they were fishermen, again, they were tax collectors, but they were living their lives. They, they, they were, again, trying to get somewhere, trying to become something. And I can understand that they probably had an identity crisis when Jesus came and took them out of that life. And said, okay, now I'm calling you away from that. You know what? Peter, sell your boat. Get rid of all them. This is what I want you to focus on. I can imagine him saying, wait a second. What am I doing here? If I do that, what's my fallback plan then? What am I going to turn to, Jesus, if, if who you are or what I think you are or who you're telling me are turns out to be something wrong? What, what, what am I going to fall back on? So I could see these, these guys having this identity crisis, and we could see that happening right here. When they're thinking in, the, in a world mindset, which one of us is going to be the greatest? Which one of us? Because that's a worldly mindset. Who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's the best at my job? But 
God's going to give us some successes, and he's going to give us some failures in this life. I, I, I can remember when, when I was not in church, not serving God, but certainly thought I had a relationship with God. Um, it, it was a relationship to me. It wasn't to him. But, um, and I asked, I prayed for this job opening that was coming about, and I was like, if I just get this job, it pays this amount of dollars. All this, all the, I had all the plans. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. It's going to give me this. It's going to give me that. And, and then I got the job, and it still wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because nothing this world is going to offer is ever going to be enough. Amen? Nothing this world offers is ever going to be enough. So I, I believe he gave me that success, though, because he answered prayers. He brought trials and tribulations all to get my attention. But ultimately, I kept thinking, okay, this is going to fulfill me. And it never did. And it never did. And then coming out of that, knowing that he gave me that job, then uh, a good friend of mine started a company. He had uh, a company that he was already running that was extremely successful. He was doing really well, and he said, all right, I'm going to start two other kind of branches of this same company, and, and I want you to come and, and kind of help me start these other two up. And it's going to be, he painted this wonderful picture, and, and it was going to be, and now I started really seeing, uh, you know, the, the biggest house in Mount Adams and the, uh, you know, the, the Lamborghinis or whatever. I, I never really wanted a Lamborghini, but whatever. You get the picture. I kept seeing and had the vision of, of these wonderful things. But all the while, my life was not right with God at this time. My heart was not right with God at this time. I wasn't serving God. I was serving the world at that time. And I left this job that I know undoubtedly that he gave me. And I worked as hard as anybody else. I worked as hard as he did. I tried as hard as anybody else. But nothing was working. There was nothing, it wasn't working, and it fell apart completely. So everything that God had blessed me with now had gone away because he did give me some great things and a nice place to live, a lot of great blessings. But when I made this decision, because I wanted more, because I wanted more of what this world offered, because I wanted more of what I thought I was going to fulfill me, because I wanted more and more and more of this worldly system, all of a sudden now it's gone. And I realize, wow, what happened? I just worked as hard as everybody else did. So it doesn't matter how hard we're working. It doesn't matter if we're cheating or we're playing it right, whatever the case may be. If we're seeking this world, if we're seeking a promotion, if we're seeking riches in this world, and God has called you out of that, then you're going to have some problems. Why would I want to even go back to that after having this truth and being filled with the Holy Ghost and being baptized in Jesus' name? Why would I even want to go back to what this world offers? Why do I even want to go back and start tasting that thing and try to go back to Egypt and say, you know what, God, you brought me out of that, but, oh, I think I want to go back. Did I forget how miserable I was in the world? Did we forget how miserable the world is and how miserable everybody is that we see? A lot of people have grown up in church and not experienced anything different. And I wonder why some of us are struggling or are not joyous in the Lord. And you think, did I get a chance maybe to, to taste what the world has, has to offer? And maybe I'm missing out. I'm here to tell you. I've tasted enough of what the world has to offer to tell you that it offers you nothing. So if you're one of those people that's grown up in church and you're like, I don't know, I'm just kind of, this isn't, I'm not fulfilled anymore, then you've got to get something right with God tonight. 
you better take some time to say, Lord, I don't know what's happened to my joy. Maybe I've been over full. I don't know what's happened with you, but you better take some time to find that joy again because this world has nothing to offer. And our successes that this world offers will always pale in comparison to what God has to offer for us. Matthew 6.33, I try, I try to live it every, every day and everything that I do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because I've learned that, that that's how I'm going to be fulfilled. Not in anything that I can do on my own. I'll never, ever be able to do anything on my own in the flesh that's going to give me fulfillment. And I know when God first put that scripture on my heart, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, whatever it was, at that point in time, I was like, okay, so seek ye first and your kingdom and your righteousness, and then all these things will be added. So, okay, Lord, so you're saying I've been seeking those things first in my, in my flesh and through my job and through the things that I'm capable of. But now you're saying if I seek you first, then you'll give me those things. So you'll give me that, that nice house. You'll give me that nice car. You'll give me that whatever it is that my flesh is seeking. But then over time, God's, the more God pulls that world out of us, the more God pulls that worldly system out of us and starts pouring in his Holy Spirit and starts filling up us up with him and his nature and his truth, then all of a sudden I realize that those things, those added things, they're not what I thought I wanted. Now those things become godly relationships. Now those things become seeing my friends saved. Now those things become kingdom-minded things that allow me to see the kingdom of God growing and expanding and growing and expanding. Because I've said before, uh, who knows how many times, I'm definitely a, a proponent of the prosperity gospel. But I'm not talking about me prospering. I'm talking about this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I get in this, I'm going to prosper. I don't know if it's in my health, if it's in my finances, or whatever it is, but I know I'm going to prosper because that word is going to prosper. Because it says, take it to the ends of the world. That's what this word says. And I'm going to get in this, and because of that, I'm going to be a part of this gospel prospering. I don't want to be a part of this world prospering because I know where it's going. I know what's going to end. I know the end. We know the end, church. Have you read Revelations? We know the end. Have you read Isaiah? We know the end. Have you read Daniel? We know the end. And it's not good for the world. It's not good for, for what the enemy has in store. The kingdom of God prevails. So if I can get in that, then I know I'm in the right place. God, keep me. Keep me in that gospel ship. Keep me in your word. Keep me in your truth and everything that I do. Take this worldly system out of me. And again, I get it. I, I, right, I, right here, I, I don't stand here and say, oh, I've figured this all out. I've mastered this. I can wake up tomorrow. And I, I, there's no question that something could face me right away. I could get a text, an email, or something in the mail that Knocks me right off for a second. But then i got to come back to this word and say, wait a second, this is a lie. This is of you, Satan. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, God. That's what I need to stand on. That's what I need to say. I'm not going to listen to this, and I'm not going to buy in to this worldly culture. I'm going to continue to say, I'm going to stay in you, God. I'm going to stay seeking you first. So we have to remember these apostles. 
These people, everyone in, in this Bible, they face the same challenges as us. Don't think that you're alone. We can't look at other people in the church. God forbid we look at one another and say, well, they've got it figured out. They're doing well. Or we look at Facebook posts or Instagram posts and say, well, why am I dealing with this? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I so upset? My Lord, if you're in God, you're going to have a joy in your life. If you're, His joy is my str- strength. Hallelujah. If I'm in him, I'm not going to be caught up in comparing myself to somebody else. I'm not going to be caught up into what somebody else is posting because I already know that they're only posting the good things, right? Amen. I know that what they're posting and what they're putting their story on is only the good things. It's not about the 10 bad days that they just had. It's about all well, I just got happy now because I just got an advance or I just got my income tax pack or whatever. So I'm feeling good now, so I'm going to post something. And then we see that, and it's like, well, I'm not feeling that way today. Jesus' name, help me, Lord God, to continue to just be in you, God. Just, just to be in you, just to dwell in your presence. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. I seek refuge in you. I turn my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from, and it's in you. It's certainly not in anything that this world offers. I'm just going to get discouraged when I start looking at this world. I'm going to get discouraged when I start thinking about, well, I'm not stacking up. Again, I'm not measuring up. Awareness. Awareness. Self-awareness is a big part of, of understanding this and understanding who we are. We, we, we so often don't want to challenge ourselves and, and get in our own minds and understand who we are. If it's, if it's a... Uh, a complex that we have, a fear that we have, a challenge that we have, something that we struggle with, we try to avoid thinking about that because I, that doesn't make me feel good to think about that. A sin that we're struggling with, well, when I'm not in that struggle, I'm not going to think about it. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to analyze myself and I'm going to think about this and I'm going to be honest with myself and my own mind and have a self-awareness to be able to think about these things and who I am and who God says I am, so I can process and I can deal with these things and have a bit of an understanding. When we're dishonest with ourselves and we don't face these challenges and we don't face these inner struggles and and inner turmoils, then we're going to continue to struggle. We're going to continue to go back into this battle and continue to fight these same battles because we're not challenging ourselves and being honest with ourselves and saying, well, this is what I am and this is what I struggle with. It's easier to just shy away from that and say, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to think about that. Things are going good right now. I don't, I don't want to think about this fact that I, I, I hate this about myself. And too often the things we don't like about ourselves, that's the first thing that we see in, in our friends or our spouses or other people. And then we take that out on them and say, well, they're just like this. Meanwhile, we're the ones that are probably struggling with exactly what we're calling them out on. Self-awareness is not selfishness. Let's look, Brother Joe, at a couple of scriptures that, that talk about being self-aware in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Jesus' name, except you be reprobates, 
Examine yourselves. That's telling me right there, I need to be checking myself out and understanding, okay, what's going on in my heart? What's going on in my mind? And am I in you, Christ? Am I in you, Lord? Am I in you every day? Or am I dealing with something that you're trying to help me with? You're trying to fix this, and I'm not addressing it. I'm not looking at it, and I'm not challenging myself on it because it's easier for me to just ignore that part of me and go about my day and go about my work and go about my job and go about my life and go about my marriage and continue to have the same fight and struggle with my spouse. Continue to have the same struggle and and trial on my job. Continue to have the same struggle and trial within my own self because I'm not examining myself. I'm not taking a look at myself and saying, okay, this is a problem that I need to deal with. Brother Joe, Proverbs 20 and 5. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw draw it out. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. Counsel within myself. Challenging myself to what this word says. Challenging myself to what God says. Challenging myself to what I believe and why I believe it. Where does that thought come from? Where does that response come from? Where does this reaction in me come from? Why do I get angry when this happens? Why, why do I get bitter when this happens? And, and, and if you constantly come up against those things, there's a really good chance that God is challenging you with why you're feeling that way. And you think, well, that, can, that person continues to do that. I wonder why they continue to do that. I wonder why you continue to have that same reaction and response. Is, could it be because God is saying, hey, you know what? You're not challenging yourself and examining yourself or giving yourself counsel to try and figure that out. So I'm going to continue to put this roadblock or this challenge in your life and in your mind. So I'm forcing you to get better. I'm forcing you to challenge yourself. God knows And he wants us to know. He wants to help us. He wants us to have this clear mind and joy in our heart. heart. So when we just ignore those things about us, when we just ignore the challenges and the problems that we have, we're not learning. We're not growing. We're going to still continue to struggle. And I just put down a couple notes here about awareness. Not being self-aware of feelings, it brings exhaustion. It brings frustration. It brings fatigue. It brings ulcers. It brings self, uh, you know, us causing ourselves to get sick. Those are the things. God knows our bodies. He created us. He created our minds. He created our bodies to react to certain things. We have alarms and warnings that he does in us when we're acting or we're doing a certain way. So God is saying, hey, if you're starting to feel these things, are you feeling exhausted? Granted, I feel much more exhausted now than I did maybe 20 years ago. But when I recognize that it's fatigue or it's mental exhaustion, then I have to challenge myself and say, Lord, this isn't what, you're, this isn't what you have for me. This isn't how you created me to be. The, this frustration that I'm feeling with somebody, that's not what I'm supposed to be feeling towards them. Because if God gives me a break, why am I getting so frustrated with somebody and not saying, hey, I'm going to give them a break? God knows and created us and created those feelings and those things that we struggle with so we can understand and recognize and say, okay, maybe I need to check myself and say, okay, I'm going to deal with this today. So I'm not going to go through this frustration for the next five days. 
Lord, help me. Pastor said this a long time ago, and it stuck with me. Lord, I'm going to pray and say, help me to process and feel about this the way you would have me to feel about it. Not the way I would feel about it. Because I know where my feelings are going to come from. They're going to come from something I've inherited through, I love my parents, but through one of them. Or maybe their, their parents, my great-grandparents, whatever, that's been passed down. We talk about generational curses, but sometimes those, those aren't broken because we don't challenge them. We don't take those to an altar and say, Lord, I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm not going to just chalk it up and say, well, that's a generational curse. I've just got to deal with it, and I've got to just go through my life with it. I don't believe that. That's a lie from hell. I'm going to challenge that in the Word of God, and I'm going to say, I'm going to bring that, and I'm going to lay that at an altar, and I'm going to say, Lord, you can take that from me because you're greater than this. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world, and I'm going to challenge whatever this is inside of me and say, I'm not going to live with this anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of it defeating me. I'm tired of it defeating my life, my family. I'm tired of it overtaking my house. I'm going to say, enough is enough. Because I'm enough, God. You made me enough. You made me, you said your grace is sufficient. When am I going to start believing that and saying, okay, I'm enough. It's enough. Thank you, Jesus. When you become self-aware, it's easier to be aware of what others are, are going through. When I'm self-aware of myself and my feelings and my struggles and my problems, it's going to be easier to identify that in my spouse and my child and my coworker and my boss. And we're not so quick to just react the way we would normally react and say, I'm going to react in frustration. They're mad, I'm mad. When I'm aware of where my feelings are coming from, where they're being birthed from, then I can challenge that and say, wait a second, maybe they did just have a bad day. Maybe they just did get some news from a doctor that they're not going to share with me, but all of a sudden they just found out they're, they just got this terminal report, and they're processing that, and they're bringing that in, and now they're taking it off on me. The saying says, hurt people hurt people. It's coming from somewhere. And when I'm aware of myself and why sometimes I act the way that I act, now I can understand, okay, it's not just me. It's not personal. They're not taking it out on me. This is just them being them because they're what they're dealing with. I think of David and Nathan when, when David had, you know, committed the sin and taken um, Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. And Nathan comes and challenges him and says, tells him the story about the rich man with all the sheep and then the poor man that has this one little lamb. And, but he was indebted to this rich man and, and the rich man takes it from him. And David's immediate reaction is he should be killed to lash out and have this response. And then when Nathan challenges him and says, but this is where that's coming from, David. Now all of a sudden David has a change of tune and he becomes self-aware and says, oh, Jesus, Lord, my God, that's where this came from. So sometimes when we get challenged, I challenge you to all of a sudden take a quick analysis of yourself and say, where is this response coming from? Why am I responding like this? And am I right? Or, Lord, are you teaching me something at this point? Are you showing me something about myself that I thought and maybe justified and went on about my life with? Maybe you're showing me something that I need to understand and I need to do some internal analyzing and say, why? Why am I doing this? What's happening here? Sometimes this, this, this way, this, this thinking of what about me is justified there, there's no question that sometimes we are. 
um, we should be, we, we have been offended or we have had a wrong to us. But again, it's how do we respond? No question that, that um, I can think of times when I'm sure Liz would tell you, and she's taught me this, that um, from being single for as many years that I was, and then getting married a little bit older, I was kind of set in my ways of just saying, well, I go to the kitchen and I get my own drink. And I sit down and I eat my own meal. Well, enough times of going to the kitchen and making myself a drink and then coming and sitting down while she sits there and London sits there without a drink. Well, you just got your own drink? (laughs) Oh. That is a case where you can say, well, what about me? And then that's where I have to learn and understand, okay, there is a reason why somebody is saying, hey, what about me? It's not always just bought into the system, well, it's nothing but about me and my advancement. Sometimes it helps me to understand, oh, you know, there is something here. There is an injustice. And I think about, we were just at marriage retreat this past weekend, and when Brother Showstrand said, well, men were created with half the brain that women were, so, you know, they have to carry us, you know, help get us through. But then he said, well, some would say that God created men with half a brain because that's all we needed to keep up with women. So I don't know. I don't have a stance on that. But it's something he said. So you can ponder that and come to your own conclusion. I'll leave that alone. But... She's helped to teach me, hey, sometimes it goes the other way, and you have, to be, you have to be thoughtful. You have to understand, okay, I'm used to this, and in all actuality, she's right. I was just thinking of myself, and how often do we do that just naturally in our lives? I'm just thinking of me. I'm just going about my, this is what I do. I'm, I'm just caught up in this world. I'm caught up in myself, and this is how I think. This is what I do. Meanwhile, I'm not thinking of the other person. I'm not thinking about the kingdom. I'm not thinking about anything other than just what I have been trained to think. And that's unfortunately what this world is teaching us. That's unfortunately, it's no different. We talk about our culture now. There's no question. And it seems to be in the last 10, 15 years, it is amazing how crazy our country has gotten. The divisiveness, um, the hate, the you're this side or that side and there's no in between. It's getting so crazy that I don't know what else to do except for stay in this word. I don't know what else to do except for seek the the kingdom of God first. I don't know because there's no other way. And and that's what I'm going to do. But we can look back at the apostles and see that they were dealing with the same things. We just are going through life. This is the system that we are born into. It's just like when you go to the airport or wherever and people step on those things and they're just going by. They're going by the, with the destination. They're going to where they're, they're trying to get to their flight or whatever it is. That's what everybody's doing. We can look out on the highway right now. There's cars flying up and down uh, 71, flying up and down Ronald Rager, Cooper, Cooper Road, whatever. Everyone's just going about, caught up in the system. Got to get to my next destination. Got to get to my next thing. Got to take care of this. Got to take care of that. It's so easy to get lost of what matters most. It's so easy to get off track of what we need to be focused on. And our lack of awareness can also cause trouble with sin. 
I, I think that that's something that when, we, when we're caught up or if we're struggling with the sin, it's easy to all of a sudden, if we're not going to deal with that, if we're not going to process that, and we're not going to take that to God and say, Lord, where is this coming from? Why am I struggling with this? Why have you not taken this from me yet? And not understand his grace is sufficient and say, yes, I'm going to repent every day. But when we're not struggling with it and we get our mind off of it, then it's just like, okay, here it comes back around. Here it comes back around again. Now I'm going to struggle with it again. I'm just going to avoid it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm caught up in this. And then all of a sudden we process it. We deal with it. We go through that conviction, that condemnation, all the things that we go through. And then now we find ourselves, okay, I'm not dealing with it anymore, so I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to tackle this in my mind. I'm not going to become self-aware that, yes, I am struggling with this sin and this problem. Therefore, I'm never going to deal with it. I'm never going to leave it at an altar because I'm afraid to deal with it because it doesn't make me feel good. But what we have to remember is what's God's will for us? I think we're so caught up in thinking, well, what is God's will for me? What's, this, what's the will for this? What's the will for that? Am I supposed to do this? What's God's will? God's will is simply just to seek his kingdom, to spread his gospel. But what does God think about us, Brother Joe? Jeremiah 29 and 11. This is what we have to remember. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, but to give you an expected end. Go to Psalm 139, 16 through 17. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which it continues were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. O God, how great is the sum of them. Those are the things that God thinks about us. And then lastly, Brother Joe, Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows said for the farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. For ye, not therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Those are the things that God thinks about us. That's what we have to remember is what does God think about me? Not what does the world think about me? Not what does my coworker think about me? And honestly, not even what does my, my parent think about me? Because I know my parents are good people, but there's some of us that we don't know that. We never experienced that. So we have to understand what does God think about me? Not what do I think about myself because I know the enemy is going to put a lie in my mind. And I know who I am just in my own heart and in my own flesh. And the word says we're desperately wicked. But God, what do you see? How do you see me? What do you see in me? And it's those things. It's good things. That's who he sees in us when we're perfected in him. And that's what I want to be, and that's what I want to strive to be, and that's what I want to aim to be. And everything that I do is, God, how do you see me? Jesus' name. And I'm getting ready to come to an end, but I, I want to I challenge us for a few minutes to do that, to examine us ourselves. In just a few minutes, I, I want to take some time to examine us. I want to take some a time to examine um, how we see ourselves. How, how, how are we in the, God, in, the, in the eyes of God, and how are we in our own eyes? How are we when we wake up tomorrow? How are we to our spouse? How are we to our children? I want to take a few minutes to examine ourselves. But I want to look at these apostles again just for one quick second. 
and, and see where they were at this point in time where we read this scripture and Luke where they were saying, which one of us is the greatest? And then Jesus is challenging them and saying, well, you're not supposed to be caught up in this world. You're not supposed to be caught up in what the Gentiles are caught up in. You're not supposed to be caught up in the kingdoms of this world and trying to make your way in that. You're supposed to be a servant like me, a servant to the kingdom of God. And then we can move forward to the book of Acts after they've walked with Jesus for this, for this time, after they've walked with him and they've been trained and Jesus has poured himself out into them. And what was really a short time. And these flawed men, just like you and I, just like when he talked to Nathan and Nathan about Philip and said, I already saw your sins. I saw your transgressions. He still called these apostles. These, these weren't perfect men. They're just like you and I. But what happened, what transformed in them, they were, they were in a kingdom mind and this, this dilemma uh, uh, of who they were, this kingdom dilemma, back here in Luke, but by the time in the book of Acts came, after the death, burial, and resurrection, and after he taught them, and after he rose again, and after his ascension, and teaching them for 40 days, this is what I want you to be. Now all of a sudden, it says in the book of Acts, they're of one accord. Now they're of one accord. Now they're going to the gate beautiful, and this man that they've seen, I'm sure, all their life, going into this temple, that's there, and, he, and he's lame, and he's saying, help me out. Give me some money. And, and Peter immediately says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. Now all of a sudden their minds are transformed from when they're talking um, about demons being cast out in their name, and they're celebrating, and Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. Don't focus on that. Keep your mind on heaven. Now all of a sudden we see from the Gospels to the Acts where they've transformed. Now they're not thinking in a worldly frame of mind. Now they're thinking in a godly frame of mind. Now they're kingdom thinking. Now their responses to people are about God and about the kingdom. Now their differences, they're working together. I'm sure that they still had troubles with one another. I'm sure they still fought and had arguments. But the thing is, it says they were of one accord. That's when all of a sudden we start seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. When they're working together when they're praying together, when they're in a jail cell together and they're of one accord. Now all of a sudden we're seeing the church move. We're seeing the church grow. We're seeing people healed in the, in the name of Jesus because we're seeing them working together. The Casting Crown song that says, if we are the body, it says, why are his hands not healing if we're the body? Why, is this, why are his hands not reaching if we are the body? And I just wonder what would happen if we did get in that one accord. What would happen if, if, if we were in prayer together? And this strife that they had back here in Luke 22 and 24, when they were wondering which one of, us was the, which one of them was the greatest, to now the book of Acts where they're just of one accord working together. I, I wonder what healings we would see if we said, okay, I'm getting out of this worldly system way of thinking about getting ahead and being the one that's in front and being the one that's up top. Now I'm going to pray with my brother and sister. I'm going to be praying with my brother and sister at Tree of Life Church. I'm going to see Sister Karen Simsprot healed. I'm going to see Mary Humphreys healed. I don't know, who am I going to see healed? Who are we going to see healed when we start saying, you know what, I don't care who's going to be the best. 
I, I, I don't care who's getting credit for this. I don't care if I'm getting asked to do this at the church. I don't care because, you know what, there's only a few hours of the week that we're at church. But I'm going to start thinking about these apostles and how they were transformed and how they started to understand, okay, I'm thinking now, God, I'm, now I'm thinking about the kingdom. You know, now I'm starting to think about you, and I'm starting to understand what you're talking about. That you're talking about kingdom thoughts. You're talking about eternal thoughts that we, taught, we heard about Sunday night. Now you've shifted your mind from thinking about getting ahead tomorrow morning at work to, my God, I'm going to pray for my brother and sister. Because I just got an email from the church that says they just got this news and they're going into surgery today. Now all of a sudden that email that I get about that prayer request takes precedence over this, this promotion or whatever that I'm thinking about. Now all of a sudden this phone call that I got from a brother or sister takes precedence over this meeting that I'm getting ready to go into. And I've got to nail this thing down because I've got to be better than Joe. I've got to be better than Larry because I want to get ahead. I want to get that next promotion. Now all of a sudden my mind is shifted and it's kingdom thinking. Jesus, I, I, I just want to take some time. Can we stand and, and can we do that? Can we examine? And you know what? I would encourage you tonight. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I can tell you this, that when God put this message on my heart, it pricked my heart. And I don't know if it's pricked your heart tonight or not. But I would say I don't want to have strife in this church. I don't want to be back in, in the Gospels where I'm learning. I want to be in the Acts where I'm doing, where I'm, I'm seeking God. And I would just say if you want to come forward tonight and examine yourself, if you have someone that you haven't connected with here in the body of Christ, the Tree Life Church in a while, that you feel led to pray with, or you've, had some, you've lost a friendship, a relationship, because of time, or even a hurt that's taken place. I don't know. I would encourage you to pray with them tonight. I would encourage you to pray as a body tonight, as a body of Christ tonight, as the Tree of Life Church tonight, as a family tonight. I would encourage us to pray with one another. I would encourage you to come forward and start seeking God and examining what our priorities are. Instead of thinking about that next carnal thing that we're getting ready to drive out of here and do, I would challenge you tonight to start thinking right now, just for a few minutes, of was my mind on your kingdom today, God? Was, was my mind on your, my brother or sister today, Lord? Was my mind on you today, or did it take me all the way to the point that I came in, not even when I pulled in the driveway, not even when I walked into the building, but about halfway through the second song, I finally started to put away some of, some of my worldly thoughts and started thinking about you, God. I don't know. But I'm just asking us for a few minutes to, to seek him and to let him speak. And I would ask you to please find someone to pray with. I don't care if it's who's next to you or if it's on the other side of the church, but if we are the body, if we indeed are the body, we need to be of one accord. And we need to seek him. Come on, church, let's, let's take a few minutes and, and shake, off, shake off this world for a few minutes. It's up to you tonight to say, yeah, I've had enough. I've had enough of seeking the things of this world, and I'm going to seek you for a few minutes, God.
I know today I've thought about everything but you. Tonight, I've got a few minutes that I can start putting my mind towards you and I can start thinking about you. Oh